United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. If you listen to this show, you know that United Soccer Coaches is proud to have so many unique advocacy groups for the good of the game around the passion of the game. One of those groups is the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group, chaired by Mike Lynch, who's also the head coach of the Belmont Abbey Crusaders women's soccer team. This will be the first of six great shows geared around the notion of faith-based coaches forever focused on both the point and purpose of sport. As I said, this will be one of six, and Mike Lynch will break down who else you'll hear from in the upcoming weeks. He is up first, and then we've got a short visit with Ira Jersey, who, besides being a big-time TeamSnap user and supporter, he also co-hosts a podcast called League One Fun. We know that Major League Soccer kicked off last weekend, USL Championship kicks off this weekend, and in the coming weeks, USL League One will kick off. Ira Jersey will tell you about League One and his podcast, League One Fun. That's our show, and it's focused mostly on ethics and sportsmanship. Good topics, topics we need to consider every day, I think. And we start that with Mike Lynch after this visit from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. I am Dean Linky, and if you've been listening to this program, you know I love my job, and I love it because I get to talk to people that are passionate about what they do and passionate about why they're here, why even perhaps God put them on this great earth. And I think today's guest, as part of a six-part series, is one person that fits that description entirely. We're talking about Mike Lynch. Mike is the chair for the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy for United Soccer Coaches. He is also now what I can call the longtime head coach of the women's soccer team at Belmont Abbey College. He has worked at Nebraska Western University. He was in the business world for a little bit as well before soccer drew him back. He's got ties to Lou Sagasumi, one of the first people I met as I was introduced to U.S. soccer in the late 80s, and I still... Love what Lou has meant to the game. We'll get to that as well. And with that as the setup, we're talking about Mike Lynch. And Mike Lynch joins me now as the first of six. And, of course, you got to start with the chair for the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy. And, Mike, this is going to be an exciting six-part series, for one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're really excited and appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about the things that are important to the game and certainly to uh, us that are in the faith-based coaches. And we're, we're a group that uh, was put together really to provide a space where coaches of any faith tradition could exchange ideas about their faith and, and how it informs their coaching their soccer programs. But, but really, those are just words that means we're pouring into our kids. And, uh, and any time you get to do that as a coach, then it's exciting. All right, so with that, I am going to read an introduction that I hope will captivate you as you learn about what we're going to cover in this six-part series called Faith-Based Coaches, Forever Focus on Both the Point and Purpose of Sport. 
Ethics and sportsmanship are rarely viewed as premier values in today's society, nor even co-equal top-tier values alongside money, success, and contracts. In some venues, pro sports, for example, following ethics and sportsmanship are rationalized away as not being competitive enough, even a detriment to team performance. With this new norm, perhaps we should not be surprised with baseball sign stealing, academic admissions, side door entrance scandal, Lance Armstrong tour debacles, and the list goes on. Form no longer follows function, but rather the financials, which often creates tenuous ethical moments of decision. Does it have to be this way? Can another way prevail rather than succumbing to false incentives? Perhaps, but only once we choose to stop accepting a zero-sum limiting view of sport, especially once the stakes are high or personal. Embracing ethics and sportsmanship as force multipliers, not force limiters, unleashes true greatness. Choosing the, quote, harder right end quote, regardless of the consequences or who would find out, demands greater skill, better tactics, selfless leaders, more unity, higher self-discipline. Coaches and players have opportunities every game to practice choosing controllables ethically. Many yellow card cautions earn based on dissent, retaliation, inappropriate language, and tactical fouling are avoidable and clearly tolerated or perhaps even encouraged. Behind Mike Lynch's message and the five other guests over the next six weeks, you will hear them challenge all of us to choose more, harder rights whenever faced with a choice, especially situations with lots of stakes. Will we fall short? Sometimes for sure, but we also gain the opportunity to learn and we move forward better for the experience. We should all aspire to lead the effort to build a learning culture that celebrates and grows out of what happens, positive or negative, on the field and the lives of our players. Here is where we aspire to be, and here is how we are going to get there. So, Mike Lynch, that was written by you, full credit, and it moved me, and it moved me to say, let's get this going right away, as we just started communicating a couple weeks ago. And with that, we are going to have six consecutive episodes focused on this all-important topic, starting with you. And before we get into your specific issue of sportsmanship and ethics, I wanted you to tell everybody what's coming in the coming weeks, the name of the topic we're going to talk about, and who's going to cover it. Then we're going to get back to you and how God has put you in this position and then break down sportsmanship and ethics. So let's start with what people are going to hear over the next six weeks. Yeah, so um, after the episode today where we're kind of laid the foundation with sportsmanship and ethics, we're really excited in episode two to have Patrick Gilliam. He's the uh, women's soccer head coach at Trinity University. Uh, he's going to be talking about servant leadership, that idea of, of to serve versus to be served and how important that is to uh, team performance and, and developing players. Uh, following uh, Patrick is going to be Tom Gerlach. He is the the boys and girls uh, um, coach at Christ Presbyterian Academy in Tennessee, a very successful program. And, uh, and I tell you, Tom's known for a lot of things, but especially uh, the, the team culture that he creates, which really puts those kids in position to be successful. And, and I think it's going to be a really exciting one to listen to. Episode uh, four is going to be Jen Meyer. Jen is the coach at uh, Anderson University in Indiana. 
the women's soccer head coach as well as the senior women's administrator. And she's going to talk about that really important piece of team care and connection and commitment and, and, and again, creating that environment for everybody to thrive and everybody to be successful as possible. Uh, we'll, we'll finish up with the last two, uh, Rick McKinley, who is a director of uh, Boys Chicago Eagles, which is part of Missionary Athletes International. If you know anything about Missionary Athletes International, they do fantastic things. And Rick is uh, one of their directors, and he's going to talk about sport ministry and how using sport in order to connect to kids and, and to get them to, uh, to feel positive about themselves, to be positive about their future, and then, again, certainly to connect uh, a faith if that's part of it. And then we're going to finish up. Uh, we're really excited about the Dr. Thierfelder. Uh He's the president of Belmont Abbey College, and, and, and he's known within the academic circles for sure. But what people, a lot of people don't know is that this is his first position in academia. Uh, he's always been a professional athlete performance coach. He's got a Ph.D. in, in movement and psychology. And uh, I think, again, his talk on developing body, mind, and soul uh, in our athletes today uh, will be very compelling and, and one you won't want to miss. We're here with Mike Lentz, the head women's soccer coach from Belmont Abbey College. And as we said, the chair for the faith-based coaches advocacy for United Soccer Coaches. And before we get into sportsmanship and ethics, which will be our first topic with Mike Lynch, I also want to tell you guys about uh, perhaps Googling an article that says uh, where he belongs. It's a We Coach feature article by David Smale written last year. And I'll just read the opening two paragraphs and then let Mike talk a little bit about how he got to where he is today, and then we'll go into sportsmanship and ethics. And it says, Mike Lynch was born to coach. The women's soccer coach at Belmont Abbey College discovered that early while he was still playing and he has rediscovered that many times since. He's tried to walk away, but he keeps coming back. He's pretty sure it's because that's what God wants him to do. Lynch was a pretty good soccer player in his high school days in Dayton, Ohio. A fourth-generation military academy graduate, he played soccer at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, Colorado. The head coach was Lou Sagastumi. And we learned later when reading this article it was under Sagasumi that you discovered that you really liked coaching. But with that, it's kind of a little bit of a backdrop, Mike. Tell everybody how you ended up where you are, and you tried to leave, but we drew you back. <laughs> yeah, you know, I tell you, the, my early days with uh, Coach Sagasumi, with Lou Sagasumi, were just super important on me. Um, he was a big reason why I chose uh, to go to a military academy, specifically the Air Force Academy. Uh, as I mentioned, I was fourth generation. But I, and my dad was a career Air Force pilot, which took us all over places, including places where there was, you know, soccer heavy. And that's how soccer kind of came into my life. But I, I really thought that, you know, I didn't think that I would be going to a military academy until um, I went out on a visit. And I got a chance to sit down with, with uh, Louis, and, and he got to share his, his vision, share his tactics, his coaching philosophy, you know, kind of stuff that he's looking for. And I watched the training session, and I was like, man, this is a person that uh, I really connect with. I think I can learn a ton from, and uh, and was super excited to uh, to be, have that to have that opportunity to go. And you know, and then he was the kind of guy that uh, you know he was big into film. And it was funny. The reaction of my teammates was, "Oh my gosh, we're going to watch film." And I, this is where I think I always had that that knack or that bent, uh, that, that desire to be a coach because I was the one who then, hey, coach, can I borrow the game tapes? I wanted to watch them in my room. And back then we didn't have the cloud to share them. And so, but uh, um, whereas some people saw it as a burden, I wanted to, you know, Louie to go through these two-hour-long <laughs> film sessions. I was like, man, this is fantastic. Look at what we're doing. So, I, I, you know, and I know and I recognize that's not the mindset of most players. 
And so I think I, I have the, the genetic disposition, if you will, to, to be a coach, to want to really dive into the game. And Lou was the one that really uh, opened that up for me. That article, Where He Belongs, written by David Smale. You can check it out on We Coach. All right, here we go with Mike Lynch, the chair of the Faith-Based Coaches for United Soccer Coaches, and we're going to get right into it. So let's go, Mike. Where do you see sportsmanship and ethics in today's culture? Because, as you know, isn't the goal of sports to win? Exactly. You know, I think where we are right now is not where it should be nor where it could be. Today's coaches and players, and include myself in this, we're part of a world that maintains this view that the ends justifies the means. Whatever you got to do to win. You know, fair play, ethics, sportsmanship, they're just nice to have, you know, if provided you're winning too. I was part of that. I, I feel like now I'm in a conscious daily battle to say, no, I don't accept that because, one, I, I think there's a, a higher standard that not only is the right thing to do, but also I think it leads to higher performance. And when those two things are together, and then I think it's, it's, it's a no-brainer and, and that's what I want to do. And so my goal is, again, I just want to make sure that uh, we don't fail to bend, stretch, or even break the rules because uh, it will take away our opportunity to, to have to be at our best, which is really what we're, you know, I think we're, as coaches, we're trying to develop in our players and develop in our teams. Where is the line? And after you answer that question, I'll ask about, you know, just being able to come and watch it. But where is the line between those two we just talked about, sportsmanship and ethics and winning? You know, all sport has the laws of the game, and clearly that's a line. And, and why do we have laws of the game? Well, by definition, you don't have sport then because, you know, Play is inherent to all cultures, and, and, and play is, I think, we're wired to play. But when we make it sport, we're now saying, look, um, we want one group of people who are playing to defeat another group of people who are playing. <laughs> and so the laws of the game are basically what now give both teams equal opportunity to do that. And so there goes the tactics and the skills and everything else. And so um, the laws of the game are certainly the ones that, uh, that we, sh- we should be watching. But, you know, you can't write a rule for everything. And so then you kind of have the culture of the sport. You know, if anybody's familiar with golf will know that they have a very high bar on what's tolerated. And so, um, and that's just the culture of the sport. And so for soccer, for example, then what's our line? And that's where I think it's, uh, there are a lot of things that are great. And I keep going back to, does this give my players an excuse to not have to be better if it's gray? And this would be an example, like we're all taught up to go chase the ball when it goes out of bounds. And then if the ref doesn't know, uh, who it really went out on, then maybe you get it. Well, um, I've, I've really started to rethink even something as simple as that because now I'm thinking, okay, do I need that advantage in order to be successful or can I have more skills, more tactics, or whatever? And if it's their ball, it's their ball. Now, if I don't know who, if it went out on, on you know, him or her, then, then, okay, we both go for it. But if I clearly know, then why do that? And, and what, what it's interesting is when I've shared this with my team, I said, look, and so let's say you go for it because you think that, you know, you want to, even though it's not ours, you want to go get it. Well, now you're out of position if the referee did get the correct call. And, when, and so now when they give it to the other team, you're not in position to defend that throwing. And so that's just a simple example, but that's where, again, that uh, I don't have to be better if I try to bend the rules versus, you know, just, you know, trying to play the very best that I can. This is a question often asked of coaches. If you train on an open field, can't people go watch? What's your answer to that question? Well, it's interesting. You know, the uh, Bielsa Lampard, uh, you know, spat that happened about a year ago was a good example of this. You know, Bielsa, remember, he uh, um, he took responsibility, but he didn't apologize. He said, "Look, it's a covert scouting. We're scouting is perfectly ethical in the games. We use, you know, we use data analytics packages that can get data on other teams. 
you know, we can get video on other teams. The question is, do you do it in an ethical manner that's open and transparent? So if you were covertly scouting, I think we, you know, and that's where I would disagree with Bielsa in that he's saying that, uh, you know, my person who I sent over there, and once he was caught, he left. He didn't put up an argument or anything like that. But I would say, you know, if if somebody is, is training on an open field, clearly anybody can watch. But if you were doing it in a manner that, that hopefully nobody would see me watching, you know, then I think that that's that little conscious uh, saying, okay, maybe that's not correct. And so it's, it's just one of those things that I, I think we know when we're, we're crossing the line. And, um, and so it would be one of those things that then a simple question, is this an open or closed training session, if, you know, if, if you wanted to have somebody, you know, to go there or something. But, and again, and this is what makes it so hard. It's not going to be real clear. It's always going to be gray. But that's the challenge, and that's where I think if we keep practicing these habits, just like skills, we just keep choosing the harder right. We just mentioned open field, open training. United Soccer Coaches has this program that was developed several years ago. The late, great Charlie Slagle, I think, was really involved. I want you to plug that and then roll off of that about United Soccer Coaches' culture mission. So Open Training Week is coming up uh, April 13 through 17. So as you know, it's what we do annually in the spring. Uh, and it invites uh, uh, programs to open up their, their sessions to anybody in the United Soccer Coaches that wants to come. And, and faith-based coaches are, are certainly doing that as well. We're actually trying to create a database of faith-based coach-led programs that are going to be part of the open training in case somebody wanted to go to a program that they also knew was, was led by and coached by a faith-based coach. And so um, um, if you're interested in that, again, just reach out to me, and I can get you that uh, list. We're going to try to figure out how to make that maybe easier to get to, but uh, but we're super excited about identifying all the faith-based coaches that will be doing uh, open training week sessions. I know you also wanted to comment on United Soccer Coaches' commitment to culture. Yeah, so in 2018, when United Star Coaches announced their commitment to culture, I was really excited, and I think it, it provides a great foundation and platform, provided we keep it alive. And to create a unique and very positive culture for our sport here in the United States, we want to lead the effort to build a soccer culture that celebrates what's best about our game. And this is what again, the United Star Coaches wrote about, and it helps us transcend from what happens on the field to what happens in the lives of our players. And so, and, and as coaches, we know that there are three of those cornerstones of the seven cornerstones that specifically addresses sportsmanship and ethics, in my view. And that is character first, obviously. Number two, the game is the teacher. That's clear. And soccer is the player's game. Well, I want to provide an example where those three things, again, what a great set of values and, and cornerstones to then look, have that be your, your, your prism to look at things. Well, let's go back to the very egregious, deliberate handball in the box leading up to the game winner that sends one country to the World Cup, France, keeps another one at home, Ireland, in the run-up to the 2010 uh, World Cup in South Africa. So if you remember the 2009 UEFA playoff game, this is so which team gets to go. And so what happens in that game, so Henri, the great player that he is, you know, he has a situation where the ball is about to go over the end line, and so he does a deliberate handball, not an inadvertent handball, not a ball to hand, you know, one of those things that we're trying to use VAR to figure out, which they didn't have at that time. This was a very deliberate, i got to reach out, grab the ball, keep it in play. Nobody saw it except everybody on TV and everybody in the stand. But the referee did not see it, and the AR did not see it. The head official didn't see it. So the ball, Henri then serves it. France scores, and that goal then is the is the difference maker that sends them to the World Cup. 
So the players were in a situation, the referee, you know, obviously didn't see it, and there's a great side story to that for a story for another day about what happened to that referee and how he had no clue of what happened. But, but here, for just to zero in on the, on the, the character first, the game is the teacher, and soccer is the player's game. There was a moment of decision. In our moments of decision, we create our destiny. There was a moment of decision right there where the players could have taken charge of the situation if they wanted to. And it really, the ball was in the French team's court. Because at that point, the Irish players were protesting, as you can imagine. Hey, that was a handball. And the French players were like, okay, it looks like we have it. Well, the French team had the opportunity. They could change that. Now, I know, and I'm not saying that they should have or, you know, that that's, you have to do those kinds of things. But that was an opportunity. And looking down the road, I think it, it would have, it would have uh, been a good decision for them. If they would have taken that kickoff, allowed Ireland to score, now we're right back to where we were 30 seconds earlier, and now we finished the game out. If France would have played the skill level and the tactics, whatever, to be the better team that day, and they would have still won that game, and now they go down to France with the level of talent that they had, team captain Evra, Henri, Ribéry, Anelka, all those guys, even with their French manager, uh, Raymond Domenech, again, who has responsibility for how the team played in that game in the qualifier as well as down in, in South Africa. But if you recall, once they get to South Africa, the team implodes. And there were a lot of reasons and a lot of things that were going on during that situation. My question to, to the audience is, if the French players would have exercised that soccer is the player's game, the game is the teacher and character first, if the French would have taken that situation and, and did something different, would they have had a different result down in South Africa? We would never know, but it would be interesting to see if out of that, that, again, a huge character decision that they would have made, would they have been in a different position than they were when they went down the, you know, six months later. All right, stay with us. We'll have more with Mike Lynch, the chair of the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. We come back, we'll ask Mike Lynch, how can having a high standard for ethics and sportsmanship make you more competitive being a coach means being a lot of things mentor teacher role model motivator leader organizer of course it's not easy to be all of those things you need help and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches membership with united soccer coaches includes access to over 500 worth of e-learning courses an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. We're here with Mike Lynch, who is the chair for the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. He was kind enough to set up a six-part series. He leads it off as today we focus on sportsmanship and ethics. And continuing the conversation, Mike, I come out of the commercial break asking you, how can having a high standard for ethics and sportsmanship make you more competitive? Well, as, as I mentioned, you know, all these situations, let's take tactical fouling. And this is, uh, again, this is one of these things that I'd love to, I would love to spearhead across the world into all the way into FIFA. Um, as I'm watching these games, all of a sudden a, a team, you know, they're in a very attacking position and they turn over the ball and they're exposed and so they tactical foul. The referee is supposed to caution that player. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But you stop an opportunity to see a great counterattack. And that team, instead of learning, 
to how do we attack without putting ourselves in, in too much risk. You know, now I just tactical foul. And, and so we're, we're again, it's, it's kind of, again, it's, it's, I think it's crossing the line because the team does not have to get better. I can use the laws in the way that they're not intended in order to, to give my team a way to not have to improve. And so I think you take those things and you just say, look, the different skills, techniques, and tactics in the game, how do we get as good as we can and, uh, and just keep drawing a, a higher standard so that we're not trying to cross this ethical line in order to make an excuse for not uh, playing better, if you will. Yeah, it does make sense. Let's be descriptive, though, Mike. What are common examples to practice good ethics and sportsmanship at training and games? I think there's opportunities all the time. You know, first, uh, um, I think there should always be humility and victory. I think there should be graciousness and defeat. Nobody likes to lose. I, I don't like to lose. I think I have a responsibility to show grace at that point because, hey, they got it done better than we did, and and that's a great that's a, a good result, a good effort to be humble in victory. A good example recently is I'm watching the, the uh, 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden the uh, the 49ers get an interception. And and I'm thinking, wow, the celebration that they're having on this interception, you would have thought that the Super Bowl game was over and uh, and now they were celebrating. And this wasn't even a score. It was just purely a turnover. And I, and I, and I, want, I want passion. I want excitement in my players. But I also I want them to understand that we still have a game to play, and you know, and I and my my first thought when I saw that happen, and I'm not trying to say I'm at the level of the 49ers at all, but I was like, hmm, boy, I bet you the coaches are going, okay, let's be happy about that, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. We still have a half to play, and the Chiefs always come back, and then they did, and so uh, and again, I'm not saying that that over celebration on the on the interception early in the second half was the difference in the game. But it was a symptom, I think, a symptom of, of some of the dangers you can have if you forget these, these you know, good ethics, good sportsmanship, good performance habits that, uh, that are going to make you be the very best player that you can be and that stay focused and on the things that you can control. setup that I read that you so eloquently wrote uh, talking about faith-based coaches forever focused on both the point and purpose of sport. And right off the bat, you're so right, particularly today when you think about baseball, America's game, and this issue of sign stealing just hanging over them like a dark cloud, and then even the academic admissions side door entrance schedule, which affected some people we know in the game that we've known for a long, long time. I mean, I really do feel like the timing is really good, Mike, To I mean, I guess there's never a bad time, but right now more than ever, we need to walk a straight line, don't we? Well, we do, but really we, we need to try to do that because we're all human and we're all going to make mistakes and, and, and we're all going to fail. I mean, those things are going to happen. But are we, are we learning from those and then looking forward and trying to do better next time? And so that's, that's what I, I hope to, uh, to, you know, to, to hold myself to as well as to inspire others to do. And that, you know, the, the baseball, you know, I mean, think about it, um, uh, and this may sound not correct, but, it, you know, it's a cheating culture, not in a negative way, but that's what they do. I mean, you know, you're stealing bases. <laughs> and so, um, but, but you would expect, you would expect sign stealing by the player on the, you know, on the, the bat that's on second base. Because, and then, and the, and the catcher and the pitcher and the team knows that, which is now they're doing countermeasures to make sure that the person on second base isn't getting the signs and letting the batter know what's coming. But nobody would have thought that there was a long-range hidden camera that was being transmitted directly into the locker room, which was being communicated to the batter. Well, you know, it takes, I think I read, 1.7 hits a week more than you would do normally to go from an average batter to a Hall of Fame batter. 
Well, if you know the pitch that's coming, of course you're going to get 1.7 hits. Now you have a Hall of Fame person who's not really Hall of Fame. They're cheating. And so they're not really that much better of a, of a baseball player because they're getting this advantage that, they, that you know nobody is aware of. So those are the kinds of things that I think we just got to keep trying to choose the harder right. And because we, we we inherently hopefully um, have been brought up that way, which is why you know we, we're not, now we're talking about professional baseball, we're talking about professional soccer. But what if we're talking about our U16 or our U10 team or our U18 team? These are the, the opportunities where we you know this sport is so beautifully laid out to teach life lessons. So not only can we be competitive, but it's real. It hurts. You know, it, 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 no one likes to lose. It feels bad. But um, but what a great opportunity to say, hey, you know, the old saying of, you know, losses are purely, you know, setbacks are purely just setups for success. And if that's the way we want to look at it. And what a great life lesson. Okay, they beat us today. Instead of trying to find excuses, oh, the referee, the weather, whatever, let's go and find a way, what could we do better? Could we have made more accurate passes? Could we have made more, you know, mobility, more combination play? Whatever the situation is. But now we're focused on trying to be better instead of trying to find ways to, you know, get an advantage, which, which really, you know, isn't the harder right. I want you to expound on one line that keeps popping out on me on your setup as we, we remind people this is the first of six incredible interviews geared around sportsmanship and ethics. And I'm going to read it to you one more time and then have you expound on it as what it means to you and what it hopefully will mean to people listening. And it simply says, embracing ethics and sportsmanship as force multipliers, not force limiters, unleashes true greatness. Break that down. Yep. You know, force multipliers was a, a term that I learned when I was in the Air Force. When I was in the military, you know, we talked about force multipliers in the in the field of battle. So, you know, you may have, you know, an infantry unit, you may have a, an air, you know, an air attack or whatever. And so what are the force multipliers? What are the things on the situation that you can apply that actually makes your team stronger and uh, and not, you know, viewed as a weakness like a force limiter? And so it's, it's kind of in, in the concept of synergy, but it's really just it's more specific. Here's something that when you add it, it's not plus one. You just made it a plus three. And so when you think of sportsmanship and ethics, and if it's always trying to choose the harder right, I have to have more unbalancing of the team's defense. I have to have more times that we actually get the ball played in behind the back line. I have to have to be able to make sure that, that we're in good defensive shape while we're attacking so that they can't counter us. These are all things that um, are making us better because we're not relying on tactical fouling. We're not, you know, we're not doing things that maybe, again, would be uh, things that uh, are unethical or unprofessional or whatever. And so, um, and so that, that's what I mean by that. You know, force, and, you know this idea of, of uh, you have to choose either or. I'm either competitive or I'm sportsmanship and ethical, and I just don't buy into that paradigm, that mindset, because I think it's a both and. I think it's both performance and ethics and sportsmanship. And not only are they both and, I think they help each other. They, they multiply on each other. And if you, you know, it's interesting. You'll hear, I think Dr. Fierfelder will probably talk about this idea of world-class athletes and why they're so good. They're good because they're world-class athletes. That's just the bottom line. And this, this, this misnomer that their vice, say, in, in some examples, that that's what's making them better is just, uh, that's just not true. We don't know how good they could be outside of that if they were now taking care of things in a different way. Because they're just world-class athletes. We don't know how good they are. They really could be. So anyway, I, I just really think that uh, the, that force multiplier, this idea that, that we should be embracing 
uh, ethics and, and sportsmanship as this is what's going to make us even better, not something that's going to put us at, a, at risk to, you know, not achieving our goals. You're hearing the wisdom of Mike Lynch. He is the advocacy chair for the faith-based coaches for United Soccer Coaches. And, you know, one of the smaller issues we talk about is maybe this will help less yellow cards. And then you kind of sum it up by saying we should all aspire to lead the effort to build a learning culture that celebrates and grows out of what happens positive or negative on the field in the lives of our players. Mike, what happens to some of the people listening today that say, well, I love that Mike is, you know, following the grace of God, but at the end of the day, you know, he's coaching women where, yeah, they could probably pull that off a little bit better, and he's coaching at college at the pro level or the highest academy level. It's about win or, or go home sometimes for, for coaches and players, as you can imagine. What do you say to those, for lack of a better word, naysayers? Well, first, I don't accept the that the game is that different. I do I do recognize that the, the games are called differently. I clearly I, I know because referees are I think more concerned about the game getting out of hand, and so they're going to pull the yellow card out more quickly. If you had to say on average with men's games, but you know I coached men's teams primarily until I got to Nebraska Wesleyan before I came here to Belmont Abbey. And we did not have issues with excessive yellow cards because my standard was, you know, if you get a yellow card for, for being aggressive, so be it, okay? But but dissent, unsportsmanlike behavior, tactile, no. Those are complete controllables. And, uh, and, and, so, and how many of the total yellow cards are, you know, counted toward that? And just eliminating that, now where is that team at as far as, you know, their, their, their yellow card count, if you want to keep it as a metric? One of the things that I, I, I really believe, and it's been – it's been part of my coaching DNA from the beginning, and that was something that I learned from Anson Dorrance when I was going through my U.S. soccer coaching license programs. He had talked about keeping score, not only to make it competitive, but, but just, to, you know, it's just so you know how you're doing. And so as soon as we kind of, the team knows that I'm tracking this, if it's, if it's based, if, if it's based on dissent, unfortunate conduct, whatever, these, these barriers, well now they know that's what I'm tracking. And metrics drive behavior. And so we just now we know here's the here's and this is how we're doing. We can see if we're improving. We can see if we're you know if we're not doing very well. And so you just kind of say, look, what are the things that are important to me, and we're going to measure it. And if you can measure it, you can improve it. And if you can't measure it, it's really hard to improve. And that was one of the things that I learned from Anson, and uh, and I I really believe it. And so these are things that I think are very doable. I think it shows what you think what's important in your program. These are the, the two, three, four things we're going to measure. And if you follow through on that, the players you know they. They, they can see that, and they'll see the benefit. And when, when somebody is not, is, you know, is keeping their composure in a game, they're not, they're not retaliating, they're not reacting to what else is going on, well, um, that's going to help them because they're going to stay focused. We used to have a sports psychologist by the name of John Anderson. He used to work with Olympic teams, and so we were at the Air Force Academy. This is when I was back there as a coach. And he would work with all the Olympic athletes, and then we also had him as a consultant with our soccer team. And one of the things that he shared with me, he goes, Mike, he goes, sometimes you're playing with only nine, you know, eight, nine, ten players. I said, what do you mean? We didn't have anybody kicked out. He goes, no, I'm watching them, and I'm putting them on my clock. And as soon as they were not happy with, uh, you know, how somebody played against them or themselves, their own play, or the referee's decision or whatever the situation was, and I saw them check out of the game mentally. And then I just started my watch. And then I saw how long it took before they, they reengaged. Well, you were playing short for two, three, four minutes in a game. And, and that could be the difference in the game. And so that was a good lesson to me early in my coaching career that said, look, 
we need to we need to stay focused. We need to keep doing the things that are going to help us be successful. And uh, and if those things are controllable, especially if it's if it's ethically you know controllable, then that's where we want to go. Because if it's those are the things that not only help us win the game, but they're the things that are going to stay with those athletes for the rest of their life. And when they get into a situation that uh, where they have to make that decision, whether it's their job or whether it's the team that they're coaching down in the future. Um, it's super important. It's absolutely important. When we go to the start of this six-part series, it, it says faith-based coaches forever focus on both the point and purpose of sport. And then I read a lot about what that kind of means to you, but I want to hear it from your lips. Faith-based coaches forever focus on both the point and purpose of sport. What's the point and purpose of sport, Mike? You know, the point of sport is to put more goals in uh, on the opponent's goals and to uh, – and to get scored on your own, it's to win. I mean, when you know, that's why even kids where winning is not emphasized, they know what the score is. <laughs> and so, it's, it's it's not as much fun when you're not keeping score. And so, the point of sport is to win. But if but if if that was if that was also the purpose of sport, then why wouldn't we just then cheat all the time? I mean, if the point is to win at all costs, and there's no purpose in sport then why don't we all just use steroids? Why don't we – I mean, there's no line then. Why don't we just do everything? And uh, and because purpose of sport is, uh, I think, much greater than just the win. Uh, the purpose of sport was, you know, physical fitness. It was, you know, player development. It was learning how to deal with adversity. It's, you know, the purpose of sport was these things that said, hey, we can get our kids involved in these things. They can learn all these lessons which are much more realistic than, say, in other academic situations. And so um, what a great place to do it. So then the question is, well, is that really then apply when you becomes competitive? And I would argue, well, it is because those things that you learn in the purpose of sport will actually help you in the point of sport. And as faith-based coaches, you know, we're all coming from a bent that we just, we really, our faith is really important to us. We want to create an environment in our players so that they can thrive. And so we want to make sure that we we never forget the point and purpose of sport, never get locked into just the point or just the purpose. Because if we're just doing the purpose and we've forgotten the point, well, I think we lose credibility. You know, and it's, it's like, uh, hey, we're going for the sportsmanship award, but we're not trying to win. Well, how hard is that? And so um, I, I think you, I think to do both is what we're called to do, and I think it, that's our responsibility as coaches. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, uh, I hope. I hope I'm uh, humble enough to know that you know you don't have to be a faith-based coach to be focused on the point and purpose of sport. I, I agree that everybody should be, but if you claim to be a faith-based coach and you're not focused on both the point and purpose of sport, I would question this if that's really if that's really who you are. Because uh, again, I. I I think our faith would tell us that we're here, we're made to do outstanding things, not to be average. I mean, every time I see a world-class performance, whatever the sport is, I feel very inspired. I feel like, it, you know, that was that's what heaven on earth is going to feel like. And uh, and so I just feel like, uh, you know, world-class is, we, we, were, we were meant to be world-class, provided, again, we're doing all these other things that, that we're also called to do. Before we get to your little tease on what we'll hear from Patrick Gilliam about servant leadership next week in this six-part series focused on faith-based coaches and this message of sportsmanship and ethics, and it goes even deeper with sport ministry and developing the body, mind, and soul in our athletes, team culture, discipline, all of that framework. You've stepped up as well with United Soccer Coaches in your role. You created a new and exciting award. I was 
pleased to see you in Baltimore for the last convention. Remind everybody about that new award, because you just said, you know, if you're focused on the Sportsman Award, well, guess what? There is an ethics award. There's a big-time ethics award that you helped create. Why did you create it, and what's it all about? So the, the new Pinnacle Award is that new award that's going to, um, it added a third piece, which, I, again, I think is uh, is very exciting. So, we you know, United Soccer Coaches within high school and college teams has always had the Team Academic Award. And, you know, Team Academic Award, which means that uh, your team, both in the fall and spring semesters or academic year, they were able to uh, achieve a 3.0 or greater GPA, and that should be recognized, and it's fantastic. And I think that's a worthwhile goal that every program should have. And then they also have the team ethics and sportsmanship. And, and again, it's hard. How do you measure that? So one of the ways they said was we'll use, you know, yellow cards and red cards. And and so zero reds and then a percentage up to 50% or less of your total games, number of yellows for the season, will then qualify you for team ethics and sportsmanship. And so, again, I think that's another great goal to have each year. The question I have is then what about the performance piece? I'm curious to find out, and I want to motivate my team to say, look, we want to get team academic. We want to get team ethics and sportsmanship, but we also want to compete for the championship. And so is there, is, can, we, can we recognize that behavior? And so we created the Pinnacle Award, which added a .750 winning percentage, uh, your overall win-loss record for the season, and that, and during that academic year where you're also you know, going to school and, and you're also getting that ethics and sportsmanship award based on that, that season that you played. And so it's, it's one of those that uh, you have to get the whole body of work done, which is why it's awarded kind of a, six months to a year after you completed it because we have to get all the grades in. But it's exciting. It's really exciting. In that first year, um, you know, again, it was very limited. We had 19 colleges out of roughly 3,000, which is, I think, about less than uh, 0.1%. And we had, and again, Dean, I'm going to have to get the number for you. I should know this offhand. But the number of high schools, I want to say, was 40 or 50 out of, and I don't know how many high schools there are, maybe 10,000. Um, but uh, it's a very, very elite award. And so, um, and again, it, it, it's, it's accomplishing what I was hoping that it would do. And that is, who are the people who are able to get the performance on the field as well as play in a way that they're avoiding uh, red cards for sure because you have to go and get zero, and yellow cards to a level that is less than 50% of all the games you play, as well as doing well in the classroom. So hopefully, again, all the stakeholders, whether they're coaches, administrators, parents, and then hopefully, ultimately, the players, this is an award that they would want to aspire to, an award that that their team could achieve. You obviously are kicking off the six-part series with the faith-based coaches. Next week, as you've already said, Patrick Gilliam, the women's soccer head coach for Trinity University, will talk about servant leadership. What can we expect from that interview? It's going to be exciting. Patrick is passionate, super passionate about uh, developing leaders in his, in his teams and leaders at all levels. Uh, just the, the concept of uh, putting others first. All the things that uh, um, are characteristics of leadership, characteristics, characteristics of influence where you don't have necessary position power, which means you got to get you have to get people to want to follow you. And, uh, and followership is a form of leadership, too, and so I know he'll talk about that. I think it's going to be a great presentation where uh, there's going to be a lot of pearls that you could take, uh, take back to your teams. Knowing that uh, at one point you did leave the game, you went to Pfizer, the game brought you back, and now it's brought you right here in the state of North Carolina. Just tell us about that pull, if you can, Mike, because I think we're all the better for it, especially all of us at United Soccer Coaches. 
So I was young in my coaching career. I was at uh, Truman State University. The team was doing really well. We had gotten into the NCAA tournament. We were ranked in the you know top teams in the country, and everything was going good. And then I made a decision to jump out. I don't know if it was a combination of uh, my my oldest, my firstborn was born, and I was trying to figure out how I'm now going to provide for my family. <laughs> so anyway, but a, a combination of events happened that I all of a sudden had this opportunity to join the largest and most successful pharmaceutical company in the world an organization that also stood for excellence and, and doing things the right way. And so I, I said, you know what, maybe this is God calling me to do this right now. My family is young, and, and this is exciting, too. I have a sales, you know, and I can work my way up and then maybe get my own sales team and apply the same principles, coach them, and, and be a coach in the business world. And so I did that. And what was interesting was I was very successful. But I also found that I wasn't real happy. And so success is not necessarily equal happiness. It's, it's kind of you know, more what you're, you're passionate about. And, uh, and, and although I really enjoyed the challenge and I was up for the challenge, I did, it just didn't do the same thing as, as being on the sideline coaching the game. And so I quickly found that, uh, boy, I, I really feel like I, I need to get back into the game. But how do I do this at this point? One of the things when you jump into the business world is they get the corporate, they get the golden handcuffs on you. And they start paying you at a rate that you can't get out. <laughs> and so, I uh, was trying to plan my exit strategy for many years, and the whole time my wife, uh, Christiane, who is a saint, she was like, are you kidding me? How are we going to do this? And I'm like, I've got to do this because I just feel like this is what I'm called to do. And so I, I took a big step. In 2009, um, I had an opportunity. Well, it kind of was forced on me. You know, Pfizer went through another restructuring, and uh, they said, Mike, your services are no longer needed. And so I, I, I had offers to go right back into another pharmaceutical company within, or and then, and then also some device stuff. And I just said, you know what? I, I think this. I, I want. I want to get back into the game. So Second um, Corinthians five seven is one of my favorite scripture verses. Where we walk by faith, not by sight. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to step off the curb, and I'm just going to hope that it works out because I'm doing this purely on faith. Everything says this is not going to work. But I got an opportunity to coach both the men and women at Nebraska Westland University. I'm forever grateful to Iris F., the athletic director there. He said, hey, Mike, I believe in you. I'd love to have you back in the game. And he gave me that opportunity. And then just a few years later, Belmont Abbey women's soccer opened up. And it's just been, uh, I, again, since, since I've gotten back into coaching, I haven't worked a day since. <laughs> I, I, my, my days are long, and I'm working really hard, but it's not work for me. I get to wear shorts to work. I get to watch film, you know, until late at night clip film and I get to work with kids and, and it just doesn't get any better than that and, and that's what I, I think I think that's that's the reward um, um, if, if people have that opportunity and, and they're willing to take that leap of faith. What will be the reward for everybody listening our numbers have been great if they're able to hear all six people that you pushed forward on this important topic uh, geared around sportsmanship and ethics what will be the reward for all those people listening? You know, I think the reward will be immediate and long-term. And I, I can't remember who the famous football coach was, but the quote was, you know, you know how, how do you feel about this team? You know, how successful do you think they are? And he said, well, ask me in 20 years. And I really believe that. You know, we see our results on, this, on the athletic fields every week. We know how we're doing. We can measure that. We can see our progress. And so, and those are things that uh, hopefully, again, we just keep working toward. But, oh, my gosh, I hope we would never sacrifice the long-term opportunities for the kids that we're coaching because – uh, never underestimate the influence we have as coaches and uh, just little things, whether we take them aside and, and just give them a little tip or just ask them how's it going. Uh, those things you, you just cannot put a, put a, a price tag or premium on it because 
you, I could ask, I think, anybody in the audience, that do they remember uh, a senior uh, investing in them, uh, giving them the time of day when maybe you, you, know, you would think that they didn't have to, or the coach or anybody? Those, those, those little leadership spotlight opportunities are there, and as coaches, I tell you, um, they will they will put our players on a path that will help them be successful for the rest of their lives, and they're going to impact then the next generation. You know, right now we're recruiting the next generation of players, and all these people that we're coaching right now are going to be the coaches of those next generation of players. And so the more we give, we pour into these kids, the more they're going to pour in. And, and that's why, again, I'm so excited about the United States because we have we have so we have thousands and thousands of more very good players than we had uh, 20 years ago. And all of those good players um, are all going to be then coaches who can demonstrate and play with their kids and set the example. And here, here's the harder right. Here's how you do it so that you've got to be a good player. And, uh, and as we do that, we're just going to continue to get better, and, uh, and I think we're going to see that success uh, even at the international level. I feel rewarded already. I really want to applaud you. I appreciate you for driving the bus on this six-part series. I'm honored that you chose the United Soccer Coaches as one of the platforms to promoted. I'm so thrilled that you kicked it off as well. Faith-based coaches with United Soccer Coaches forever focused on both the point and purpose of sport. And as the music starts rolling, one of the things that uh, makes you whole is your time at Belmont Alley College. You can t- check it out, Belmont Abbey College at abbeyathletics.com. I guess final comment would be what makes that place so special to do what you do? Well, I tell you, the, the Abbey is just one of the greatest places to, to be at. Um, it's a, it's a gem in North Carolina. You know, a lot of people have driven down I-85, and they say, I see the sign all the time, and I see the campus, but I've never turned in. And we get that response every time we have a, a prospect on campus. They're like, wow, I did not know how beautiful the campus was. And then usually they'll talk about just the community. Everybody that we run, we, we run into, uh, everybody knows everybody. Everybody is so inviting and, 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 uh, and friendly. And so it's just a, it's a great place to be, you know, the, the Benedictine uh, monks who have a monastery here on campus, and uh, they've been here since 1876, and their job is to work and pray. Uh, and for the, the, you know, for the students there on campus, for, for you know, whoever has the need to, to pray for it, and, and they're, they're just a, an unbelievable influence on the staff, on the students, on the faculty, and we're really blessed uh, to have them here, and then we're blessed to have this, conscious, this uh, college that, uh, that they co-support. This is going to be great. Six-part series reminding everybody that next week it'll be Servant Leadership with Patrick Gilliam. And, Mike, finally, if people want to get a hold of you to talk more about this, uh, is there a way they can reach you? Yeah, very easy. So so my email is probably the easiest way, but uh, Michael Lynch, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L-Y-N-C-H, at B-A-C dot E-D-U. So boyapplecat dot E-D-U. And uh, that's my email address. Uh, I'd, lo- I'd love to talk soccer. I'd love to, you know, I, again, I, I was so blessed by people that uh, reached out to me, and I feel like that's how we get better. We get better by, you know, the books we read, the people we meet, where we share information. So I, I, I'd love to talk to anybody uh, anytime. Mike Lynch, head coach, Belmont Abbey College, and just as important, the chair of the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy for United Soccer Coaches. What a great kickoff, Mike. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate the opportunity. Great visit with Mike Lynch. Again, part one of six consecutive visits each and every week here on United Soccer Coaches with the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches. 
It's going to be fun. Quick visit with Ira Jersey, who is the co-host of a podcast called League One Fun. We know Major League Soccer kicked off. This weekend, USL Championship kicks off. And also part of that great USL pyramid is USL League One, which will start in a few weeks. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Coming to you from the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Dean Linky, delighted to be with so many great guests, including all the other podcast hosts. And now Ira Jersey is who we're going to talk to next. And he wears a lot of hats. But we're going to start with the hat of the fact that you are a podcast host now. It's called League One Fun. You're a co-host. And it's Ira Jersey, and of course that means USL League One, right? Correct. That's right. All right, Ira, yeah. great to be with you. You've been on before because one, let's do this first. You love Team Snap, and I of course do. this show is sponsored by Team Snap. <laughs> Why do you love Team Snap so, so much? I, you know, I love Team Snap because I'm able to organize all my teams from the two different clubs that I work with. You know, I, I coach at one club, I help. Uh, you know, I own another a part of another club, and and everything goes through Team Snap. We can notify a single team. We can notify everyone at the club. It's it's just super convenient and to keep me organized because like I need to know where I need to be and I need to make sure that my players know you know where they need to be and also how many people are going to show up like can we field a team the, you know we got a call yesterday that said hey we need a team Saturday at one o'clock are we able to get enough players and you know so we go on team snap and say hey everyone make sure you you know put down your availability for 1 p.m. on Saturday and the girls will go out there hopefully and you know play some soccer well I love hearing that I love hearing your support of team snap because I'm excited to tell you that two weeks ago, Team Snap decided to step up their sponsorship, and we're going to do this 52 times a year now wow. and not do it every other week. So, And there's clearly an audience for it, right? I mean, you, you look at all these podcasts, there's so much soccer to talk about, and I love what USL is doing. Obviously, you know my involvement with North Carolina FC, right, yep. at the championship level, but League One is a fascinating league Tell me all about it. Tell me what you like about League One. Tell me about the good teams, the teams that get good crowds. Like, sell me on League yeah, One. Yeah, so when we found out that, uh, when some of us found out that there was going to be a third tier of U.S. soccer and that the USL League One was going to come into existence, we said, you know, there's an opportunity here to cover the league because, you know, there's, there's going to be 10 teams. Not everyone is going to be able to, um, is, is going to be able to follow every single game and every single team. So it would be nice, a nice service to the, to the soccer community to have a show that basically did a survey of the entire league. And that's what we do. So my co-host Jason and I, we once a week, we watch every game, we analyze every game, and we, you know, talk about the highlights. And, and wow. you know, yeah, so it's a lot of soccer. I missed, there were um, 140 games last year. I missed 12. No. So, yeah. So I watched a lot of soccer a lot of the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, I wasn't able to catch up on the Premier League. I wasn't able to watch <laughs> to watch very much else. But that was, uh, that was all of my entertainment time and you know we, we we basically try and keep it fun and also present news to everyone and it's it's 
you know, USL League One is filling this gap in the professional soccer ranks. So I was just interviewing, for example, the academy director who's here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention of Tormenta FC. He has players that play on the Tormenta first team, and Tormenta's down in South Georgia in uh, Statesboro. Um, but he was also the coach of someone who of, of Indiana Vasilez who just played for Aston Villa FC in the in the FA Cup. So you, you know it's great being at the convention, but it's also great to have you know all of these uh, all of these players in the lower divisions that say, hey, there's talent everywhere in the country. Because we don't have the infrastructure everywhere, we can't necessarily identify them. And that's the thing that I think League One and, and even some of the other uh, third division professional leagues that are starting, that's a real need that they're going to be able to fill. So give me the big story. Remind me who won League One. Remind me what team got the best attendance. <laughs> Remind me the big names. I think John Harks is a coach yep. in the league. Are there other John Harks in the league as well? <laughs> Sell me on it. So so John Harks uh, is the coach of the Greenville Triumph. Uh, we had him on our show a couple of times. He uh, His team made it to the final. So he got to go out to Frisco, Texas and played North Texas SC, which is FC Dallas's second team. And unfortunately, you know, even though John Harks, Green Triumph, uh, quite frankly, played a better game and had more chances than uh, than Dallas. They lost one nil in the final, and it was kind of heartbreaking for them. So Harksy um, took them to the final. Harks took them to the final. They were the best defensive team in the league. They had 13 shutouts and only 22 goals against in 28 games. Um, so you know, really, you know, John Harks really trained up that team. They had a bad injury late in the season that I think might have hurt them. There, uh, who got injured? Uh, a guy by the name of Jake Keegan, who was their striker and leading goal scorer, got hurt with four games left in the season. Uh, got a foot injury, had to have surgery, and unfortunately I think that may have hurt their chances. But what teams though, are rocking it with crowds though? Are they getting good so crowds? there's a team that Peter Wilt started in, in Madison, Wisconsin called Forward Madison that had uh, uh, that had almost 5,000 people at most of their games. Really? They, yeah, so they were you know at capacity. I don't know if every game was a sellout, but they had over 4,000 people at, at uh, many of their games. Um, their social media presence has been great. Their branding. They own a cow. Um, their nickname are, are the Flamingos because there was this thing that happened in the 70s where Madison's unofficial bird became the Flamingo. So they have uh, their Flamingo is their uh, um, uh, is their 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 bird, <laughs> and and their in in fact their supporters group is called the Flock because of that. Um, okay. And and you know that so the, the league is expanding. Uh, Union Omaha is coming in. They've been also hitting the ground running. They're you know, unofficial bird. Yeah, they just signed Austin Poncho. They signed, signed yeah. Poncho. Um, they actually, uh, uh, you know, signed up a bunch of players that played in the league last year as well. Um, there, there was one blight, Dean, I have to admit. There was a team that folded after only one season, Lansing Ignite. Um, the owner maybe didn't quite understand, you know, how what it took to pay players. So, uh, But most of those players have found their um, have found home somewhere in, in League One. How about it? Ira Jersey, League One Fun. So we can find that at your normal places to find podcasts? It's, it's all over. Any, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find League One Fun. All right. How many teams are in League One now? So there's going to be 12. Uh, there's one new, uh, one new independent team, as I mentioned, which is Union Omaha, and also two more uh, MLS2 teams are coming into the league, New, York, uh, New England Revolution 2 
and uh, and Miami, uh, Inter-Miami, whatever their name is going to be, B and, or two. And are you doing this independent of United Soccer Leagues, like on your own, or we, do they sanction it? Or? We, we, we are, yeah. They've been very gracious, but this is independent, completely, you know, fan-driven. And uh, But, you know, we've, we, we have a very good relationship with USL. They've been very gracious with uh, making sure that they have keep us in the loop with what's going on, and, and many of their uh, executives have come on our show. It's been great. All right. Ira Jersey, he is a co-host for League One Fun. And uh, people want to get on your show. You want to give your email out, or yeah, yeah, sure. So you can you can best place to get us is on Twitter at League One. That's League and the number one fun. And uh, you can our our DMs are open, so you can uh, direct message us. And it, you know if you're involved with League One at all, or you just want to interact with us and, and learn more about the league, let us know. That's pretty cool, Ira. I like it, and I like the love for Team Snap as they pay the bills as well. Ira Jersey, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Dean. Good to get that little visit in there with Ira Jersey, particularly thinking USL. USL Championship kicks off this weekend. In fact, I'll be on the call for North Carolina FC against Louisville City FC this Saturday at 2.30. Always look forward to that. And you can follow League One status by going to the appropriate USL websites or check him out on his Twitter handle, as he said, League One Fun. I also want to thank Mike Lynch the chair for the Faith-Based Coaches Advocacy Group for United Soccer Coaches, part one of a six-part series that you'll hear over the next six weeks right here on United Soccer Coaches Podcast. As always, I thank Sean Chevro, Michael Knipper, Lynn Burling-Manuel, Jeff Van Dusen, all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them and for all of you, I say thank you for listening. I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.